These are the words of the living God. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom David, excuse me, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the kings might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no fault, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors, the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king the injunctions you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he had heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now, king, that it, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their lives, their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. 
Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall have shall, uh, shall be to no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for bringing us in here to worship you this morning. I thank you for all the praises that have been offered by your people, the prayers that have been offered up, the confessions that we have made, the songs that we have sang. Let O God. Now, as we enter into this time of instruction, I pray that you would come and instruct us by your Spirit as we hear your word preached. Help us to be attentive and remove all distractions so that we can stay focused during this time while you speak to us, O God, from your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so last week we looked at the new covenant. And uh, we said there that Jeremiah had prophesied of a day when all of Israel would eventually be carried off into captivity and they would remain there for 70 years. Well, that day has come. Israel has been carried off into captivity by their enemies and they are remaining, they have been remaining under their bondage for some time. Now, years after the Babylonians came and conquered Israel, the Medes and the Persians came in and conquered Israel the Babylonians. And the Medes and Persians are sort of a joint kingdom of the Persian Empire at this time. So now Israel is still in captivity, but under the authority of another nation. Okay, They're not under Babylon anymore, but they're under Persia. According to our text, uh, Darius the Mede conquers Babylon, and therefore Israel is now under his control. And Daniel and his friends are among the captives who were brought off into captivity. And since Daniel has been brought off into captivity, he has prospered. Uh, When he was in the land of the Babylonians, he was made the ruler of a province there. And here in our text, we see that Daniel was made one of three presidents uh, in the text. I think it refers to them as satraps, but uh, it's it's essentially presidents. Uh, uh, That's a better way for us to understand it today. And he rules over the land along with these three others. Moreover, our text uh, tells us that Daniel distinguished himself because of the excellent spirit that was in him, and so Darius wanted to set him over the entire kingdom, (laughs) which was a problem for Daniel because, of course, the Persians became jealous of him. Here you have this man, Darius, who is conquering all the kingdoms of the world, and of course he has subjects who have been loyal to him this entire time, and there are men who are Definitely willing and able to take up this position, but instead he sticks this Jewish boy in uh, this high place, which creates some jealousy and hatred on the part of the Persians towards Daniel. And therefore they want to violently do away with him. In our text today, we will see that it is the same for every one of us. God has given us the whole world in Jesus Christ, and he is bringing the whole thing into submission through us. And because of that, people don't like us. 
Therefore, the world will try to find complaints against us. Have you heard any complaints lately against Christians? Therefore, the world will try to find complaints against us in order to get us out of the way. But if we remain faithful to our God, the only kind of complaint that they will be able to find against us will be in connection with the law of our God. This is to say it will be in connection with our refusal to obey man instead of God. And if we obey God instead of man, we too, like Daniel, will be given the victory. Alright, so let's look at that in our text. First, what sort of plan do these men come up with to try and do away with Daniel? Look uh, back in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 6 there. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground. I'm sorry, this, the uh, high officials would be the presidents. The satraps are like the governors. Um, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So Daniel is said to be without fault and and faithful. This means that he has not broken any of the laws of the land or of the king. As a matter of fact, he has been faithful uh, to the king since he was brought off into captivity. He has been faithful to honor him. Jeremiah told the people before they went off into captivity that they were to seek the welfare of the city where they went. They were to seek the peace of the city and and pray on its behalf. And if they did that, God would bless them. Well, Daniel and his friends have been faithful to do just that. Daniel has been a blessing to the kings. He has been a faithful counselor to them. And when he was given positions of rule and authority in the kingdom, he ruled wisely on their behalf. So Daniel was a blessing to his pagan neighbors. Therefore, he is said to be faithful and without fault. So they're not going to find anything to charge him with there. So what do they do? Well, they know that Daniel is not only faithful to the king, but that he's faithful to his God as well. So they seek to try to put Daniel into a bind. They're going to put him in conflict with the law of his God. And the question is, will Daniel obey the law of the king, or will he obey the law of his God? Will he obey the law of man, or will he obey the law of his God? And in verses 6 through 9, we read that these other governors and presidents in the land who were jealous of Daniel come to the unsuspecting king and ask him to make a law that says no one can pray to God or man for 30 days except to the king. And he unwittingly signs this law into effect. One thing that is important for us to notice here is this phrase about the law of the Medes and the Persians. We see it there in verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Now, this injunction that is put into effect for 30 days is mentioned three times throughout the entire text for emphasis. 
here and in verse 12 and then again in verse 15. You'll see it there. And each time the emphasis is on the fact that this thing has been put into effect according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which is irreversible. So what is happening here is the law of God is being put into competition with the law of man. Will Daniel obey the law of God or will he obey the law of man? Now look, let's look at Daniel's response in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I love that verse. It says when Daniel knew that the document had been signed. So does Daniel sort of just go up there unwittingly, not knowing that the king had signed this document into effect? No, he knows good and well that the king had signed the decree. And so Daniel goes right back up to his upper chamber where he always prayed and where the text said he had windows open towards Jerusalem. So he knew everybody could see him, right? He knows that they can see him. They know that he is there. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed before his God. The text says, as he had previously done. This is not a secret. Everybody knows Daniel goes up there to pray three times a day. The governors of the land know it. He knew it. And he knew that they would see them up there praying. And yet he goes up there on the balcony anyway. And the text says he bows down before his God and gives thanks to his God three times a day as he had previously done. Daniel is a good Jew. And they know this. He will not commit idolatry by praying to a man. Uh, nor will he reform his practice of praying before his God three times a day. Daniel is not going to allow anyone to tell him that he cannot worship his God. <clears throat> and so they find him doing just that, just as they knew they would. And guess what they do? They run right to the king and tell him. <laughs> Look at verse 13. <clears throat> Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Daniel pays no attention to the king or his edict when it comes to the question of faithfulness of God or faithfulness to man. It is a no-brainer for Daniel. He will obey God rather than man. He will not have the king's edict rammed down his throat, and he will not be willing to compromise his convictions for the sake of comfort and convenience. He will stand tall on the law of his God and refuse to move an inch. And when it comes to a question of whether he will be forced to adopt a different set of beliefs that puts him into conflict, conflict with his God that are directly con contrary to uh, his God, he will have none of it. God has told him how he is to live and worship, and he will not allow anyone or anything to tell him any different. And friends, it is no different in the day in which we are living. There are many in our day who have all sorts of complaints against Christians. Uh, they, they say that things like we're judgmental, uh, we're intolerant, we're unloving, we're even hateful, we're bigots, 
or racist? Have you heard some of these things? And we are being edged out of society and labeled as racist, and we need to be on guard against this sort of thing. A God has given the whole world to us in Jesus Christ, and he's using us to bring it into submission, and people do not like it. And just like Daniel, there are some things that our society would like us to stop doing. Uh, as a matter of fact, there is a full court press being ran against Christians right now to get us to compromise our beliefs so that ungodly men and women can have their way with society today. It is no matter, it is no longer a question of whether we have freedom to believe what we want. No, you must accept the agenda or face the judgment. Uh, there is a God in our day that the people follow. His name is Demos, which is Latin for the will of the people. The will of the people is ultimate in our day. This is what people think that it means to be democratic, that, this, that the society gets to determine what is right. The society, the society determines what is good. And anybody who speaks against the will of the people is a blasphemer, effectively. Have you noticed this? What are some of the blasphemy laws in our day? Well, you can't say that homosexuality is a sin anymore. Um, you can't get away with doing that. It's getting harder and harder to tell the truth about sin in our day. And anybody who points to sexual sin in our society, is labeled, their speech is labeled as hatred, and they are labeled as a bigot and a spiritual idolater. You see, you are refusing to bow to the God of the day, Demos, and for that you will be punished. There are Christians in our day who have lost their businesses. Uh, they have lost everything. They have lost their livelihood. They've spent uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in the court. Their names have been dragged through the mud because they refused to bake a cake for the wedding of two homosexuals. And what about the photographers in our day? who are being targeted to take pictures of this celebration where a man has decided to make a transition from a man to a woman. And there was the case not too long ago where the gal who was a civil magistrate, she refused to offer uh, a marriage license to a gay couple against her conscience as a Christian, and she was jailed for that. Do you remember that? The persecution is ramping up and it's only going to get worse. And we, like Daniel, need to continue to go up to our room three times a day with the windows wide open and bow before our God and give thanks. That is, we need to continue to speak up. We need to continue to call sin, sin. And we ought not to be willing to compromise our faith in God for anything. Because it's coming. But many Christians in our day are compromising, and I'll point out a way in which we are doing this in large numbers. This idea that marriage is no longer between one man and one woman for life has increasingly uh, gained traction within the church. Yes, we claim to be Christians, and yes, we claim to hold to a biblical uh, ethic with respect to marriage and the definition of marriage, but more and more Christians are refusing to get married. They have believed the lie that says the only thing that matters 
is if you are happy and if it feels right. (laughs) It's the only thing that matters. And this belief has led to some immoral practices within the church. It's created a culture that basically says anything goes. What difference does it make anymore if a man and a woman get married? If they're living together and they're happy, just leave them alone. That's fine, right? It feels good. And this has led to a mentality that says as long as we love each other and we are happy, that's the only thing that matters. And Christians are going in and out of uh, relationships seeking to find this love, this so-called love and happiness. Kids and teenagers, pay attention. This application is for you. So if you've been sleeping thus far, this is the time to listen up, okay? You're being brought up in a culture that says dating is where it's at, right? Hooking up, you just hook up with another person uh, for a time, and you kind of try one, you kind of try each other out for a while and see if you like each other. And if it doesn't work out, you're on to the next person and you're on to the next damaging relationship. And this is the mentality among your peers in school today. And this is an unbiblical view of the relationship that God created a man and a woman to share in this life. Marriage is a union between one man and one woman for life. It is a commitment before God and other people to love and serve that person to the glory of God for life. And therefore, every relationship that you enter into should have that goal in mind. And if it does not have that goal in mind, the relationship is ungodly and unbiblical. We do not enter in and out of relationships with other people for the sake of personal satisfaction. We are to pursue men and women that we plan on spending the rest of our lives with, and in any other way, we are not to pursue them at all. You got that, guys? We are not to be in a relationship like this with another person just for the sake of having fun and being happy. And when we compromise what we believe just for the sake of happiness or for the sake of fitting in, what we have effectively done is adopted the law of the Medes and the Persians. This is to say we've rejected the law of God and put in its place the law of man. But if we remain faithful, all of us, if we remain faithful and honor God and worship Him as we ought, in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we conduct our businesses, in the way that we do business, in the way that we have relationships, in the way that we do marriage, the only complaint that the world will be able to find against us will be in connection with the law of our God. And let me tell you, if the only complaint that the world has against you is in connection with the law of your God, then friends, you are in good company. You are among Daniel and all the rest who refuse to bow the knee to the king, who refuse to bow the knee to the spirit of the day by caving when the going gets tough. The edicts of the kings, anyway. All right, moving on. Let's see what the rest of the text has to say. In verses 14 through 23. Then.
Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Excuse me. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God." A couple things to point out here. First, uh, the king wants to deliver Daniel, but he cannot. Uh, He is greatly distressed about this thing, the text tells us, but he's bound by his own laws and unable to do anything about this. And the men come very quickly, and they remind him about the law that he put into place, right? You can't let Daniel go. You have to obey the law of the, the Medes and the Persians, right? We can't reverse that thing. And so Daniel is thrown to the lions, but before uh, the king has him cast into the lions, he says, may your God, whom you serve, who you serve, continually deliver you. Uh, the king knows that there is something special about uh, Daniel and his God. Uh, Dar- Daniel has a spirit of excellence within him, and as he has been uh, within the Persian kingdom, he has ruled wisely on his behalf. And it's very possible that when uh, the king first met Daniel, he was wearing the royal clothes that he had from uh, the the previous uh, reign of the king that he was under prior to that. And so he knew Daniel was an important person. He probably heard of the prophecies that Daniel had given. Daniel had even given a prophecy with respect to Darius that was, uh, uh, which was fulfilled that very night when he gave it. And so it seems that Darius has noted something special about Daniel's God here. But nevertheless, it's interesting to note that Darius makes this plea on behalf of Daniel. Uh, Further, it says that it is Daniel's God whom he serves continually, which says something about Daniel's allegiance. Daniel has been faithful to obey his God throughout this all. So maybe, just maybe, Uh, his God will deliver him. Darius definitely cannot. Second, it says that he is thrown into the lion's den and a stone is put over the mouth of the den so that Daniel cannot get back out and the king seals it with his signet ring. Uh, This signifies the finality of the judgment. It is irreversible now. The punishment must be carried out. Now, apparently, there was a law in the ancient Near East that said if somebody was 
uh, convicted of a crime and they went under the condemnation and they survived the punishment, then they were guilty of the crime that they had allegedly committed in the first place. So if, so if Daniel can just survive to the next day, if he can survive this punishment, then there is hope for him. But how is there hope for a man who is facing certain death? I mean, they are throwing the guy into a hole filled with hungry lions, right? The chances that Daniel is going to see the light of day again are zero to none. The text tells us that the king spent all night fasting and hoping to see his friends somehow, some way the next day. And then early in the morning, he goes to the lion's den and he cries out to Daniel, not expecting to hear anything in return except possibly the sound of sleeping lions purring rather loudly after having a good meal the night before. But to his astonishment, Daniel cries back, O king, live forever. God God had preserved Daniel because he was without fault, because he was blameless before the king and before his God. Verse 23 tells us that no harm came to him because he trusted in his God, and therefore his God sent an angel to shut the mouth of the lions. Finally, in verses 24 through 28, we we read of the king's response. Let's read that. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their lives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. The king exterminates uh, those wicked men who had falsely accused Daniel along with, the fa- with their families. And the text tells us before their bodies even reached the bottom of the lion's den that they were torn to pieces. So it's not as if these lions weren't hungry, right? It's not as if the, the lions didn't decide to eat Daniel because they didn't feel like eating that night or something like this. Again, this is pointing to the supernatural nature of, God's, of Daniel's deliverance. It is God who has delivered him. Last, I I want to point out the fact that the decree of Darius shows us that something has happened uh, in the heart of this king when he saw Daniel's God deliver him in this way. He makes a decree, listen to this, that people are to fear Daniel's God in all the land. He refers to Daniel's God as the living God. That is, he is not a dead God like the Um, the false gods of the Persians who are deaf and blind and they have to be carried back and forth, these wooden idols or whatever idols they worship. Uh, um, This is a God who actually lives and can deliver. And he refers to Yahweh's kingdom, not his own, as an everlasting kingdom. (laughs) Which is 
really interesting. I, if this isn't a profession of faith, I don't know what is. <laughs> I, I think that we have good reason to believe that we will one day see Darius in heaven. Okay? <clears throat> so the king is converted as a result of having seen Daniel's deliverance. All right, so that is the story. Now, some of you who have been listening closely may have noticed that this story sounds strangely familiar to another story that we uh, see in the Bible. Remember, in the beginning of the uh, story, the satraps, uh, the governors and the presidents came and they conspired against Daniel because Darius wanted to give him rule over the entire kingdom. And in the story of Jesus Christ, you might remember that it is uh, the chief priest and the uh, rulers of the day who want to do away with Jesus Christ because his father wants to give him the kingdom instead of them. It's the chief priest and the elders. Also remember, Daniel was charged with breaking the law of the Medes and the Persians. Uh, Jesus was charged with breaking the law of the Jews. They said, we have a law, and according to this law, he should be put to death. He ought to die. Further, remember, Darius tried to deliver Daniel. He didn't want to put them to death. Remember Pilate? He doesn't want to put Jesus to death. He's trying to release him. They say, no, no, crucify him. Crucify him. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, and then a stone was placed over the entrance and sealed by the king so that he could not get out. Jesus was thrown into the lion's den when he was crucified upon the cross of Calvary, and afterwards he was taken down and he was put into a a tomb. And what sealed it? A stone sealed it, sealed the entrance. Daniel trusted in his God, and his God delivered him. Jesus trusts in his God, and his God delivers him. Early in the morning, the king came to the den of lions, which should have been Daniel's grave, and found him alive. If you remember, early in the morning, the women came to the tomb of Jesus Christ, expecting to find him dead. And who do they find? An angel there who said, he's not here, but he has arisen. And finally, we are told that after Daniel is basically resurrected, He comes back from certain death. He prospered or made progress in the kingdom. And Jesus, after he comes back from death, uh, he makes progress in the kingdom through the gospel and his kingdom prospers in the world. So you see that this is a story of death and resurrection. Daniel's story is a story of death and resurrection. Through his trust in and obedience to his God in the midst of trials, he is delivered and he prospers. And at the end of the story, even the pagan king has been converted and there's an edict that has gone out into all the land that everyone, everywhere, is to fear Daniel's God. And you and I are just like Daniel. We are living in a godless society that is seeking to find complaints against us in connection with the law of our God because we are obedient to the law of God. And the laws of the land are increasingly beginning to encroach upon our rights to worship our God in the way that we ought to. But we need to be like Daniel when this happens 
and practice a little holy disobedience in the face of this sort of opposition. That is, when we're told to obey the man instead of God, we are to have none of it. And like Daniel, we are to work to quietly subvert the godless authorities and laws that are being placed over us. You remember Daniel, when he is told that he can't pray anymore, what does he do? He goes up into his room and he quietly prays to his God three times a day. We're not to raise a rebellion. We're not to take up arms. We're not to rally the troops. But nevertheless, we are to practice obedience to our God in the face of a godless and tyrannical society. What are some of the ways that we can do this? One of the simplest ways we can do it is the way that Daniel did it here, right? Through prayer, right? By continuing to faithfully, uh, faithfully pray to God on behalf of our loved ones and on behalf of our friends and on behalf of our town, asking Him to break the strongholds in our lives and in the lives of other people around us. Uh, we can pray publicly. Remember, Daniel play, prays with his windows wide open. We could show up to things like the National Day of Prayer. That's a good place to go and pray publicly here in our town. You can go down there to the school around the pole and pray with the kids when you have opportunity. I don't know if they let everybody do that, but if pastors go, I'll go. And if they let us come, then you can come with me. Um, There'll be a bunch of us down there. (laughs) Right? Uh, Anywhere else we can pray in our community, we should go there and we should pray and we should ask God to protect our community and continue to use the church to restrain evil in our town and in our cities. Another way is just by continuing to have the conversation. You know, continuing to discuss the issues of the day when they come up uh, with people in our lives and being willing to reason with them through the scriptures about these things, about where we're headed and where we have been and, and so forth. <clears throat> We have to speak up. Uh, We should be involved in public debate. uh, debate. We need to be involved in the discussions that are being had in our day over what is hateful and, and what is loving and what is right and what is good. We can show up at the town meetings when there's something on the agenda that's evil. And we know we can show up there and we can say something about it. We have that freedom still. Uh, You can write your senators and your lawmakers and tell them about a godless bill that you think uh, that is coming up on the agenda. agenda. You can tell them how you feel about the way society is headed and the dangers uh, that our people and our communities are in if these laws continue to be passed. You can preach the gospel. You can... Preach the gospel. That's simple. Continue to preach the word. Continue to be faithful, preaching the truth, even when it's unpopular to do so. Uh, Whenever the rest of the church is compromising and amending the scriptures to make it say whatever else uh, they want it to say, to kind of fit in with the narrative of our day, continue to speak truth, continue to stand on the truth of God's word. You can stand up and call sin, sin, and evil, evil, even when it's unpopular to do so. You can Live a faithful and godly life and set an example for the people that are around you. Kids and teenagers, you can live holy lives at home and in school and when you go off to college and then out there into the world. Here's a radical thing that you can do. 
get married and have kids. That's pretty radical, right? Huh? In our day, it is. But if you get married and you have kids, you are directly lobbing bombs at the godless and tyrannical system that is seeking to destroy um, a biblical worldview and the biblical Christian fabric of our societies. And just by honoring biblical marriage between a man and a woman and having children and living a godly life and raising your children up in the nurture and admonition of the world, of the word, you are working to slowly and quietly undo the enemy's attempt to overthrow the kingdom of God in our nation today. Getting married and having kids and being faithful to God is like lobbing bombs, as I've said. And who knows, because God is at work through Jesus Christ in us, in the world, to prosper His kingdom, He might just do it. He might pull a great reversal in our land like He did here in our story and turn everything else around. He might make this into a Christian nation once again. Who knows? But we must be faithful to obey Him even when men are trying to blatantly force us into disobedience. And if we trust God like Daniel did here, He will deliver us even if we are thrown into the lion's den. For our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, has gone before us into the uh, lion's den, and he has emerged victorious. And in him we have been delivered from all things, even from the mouth of lions. That is, he has delivered us even from death itself. Let's pray.